I have preached more Christmas sermons than I care to count, so I didn't bother to count. Uh, but I also didn't necessarily care to fall back into the same routine, so I'm going to go a little different direction this morning. Rather than talking about the birth of Christ, I'm going to talk about uh, a very a important aspect of what it accomplished. And I want to start, because I've been studying out of James uh, for Bible school, I want to start in James. Go to the second chapter of James. Second chapter of James, I'm going to begin reading at the 14th verse and read through the 26th. And this is a, a this is a familiar passage of Scripture, I'm sure, to all of us. But as we read through this, I want you to begin thinking about what Paul also says in Romans, because we're going to go back and look at that as well. In James, the second chapter, verse 14, he writes, what doth, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith, and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Shew me thy faith without thy works, and I will shew thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. We already discussed this morning the probability of the, of the um, prophecies about the advent of Christ coming true who, where, when, how, all of the circumstances surrounding it, all of the prophets uh, in the Old Testament that testified about Jesus and the things that he was going to do and about his birth and about those circumstances and then also about his death and the low probability of all of those things coming true in one person at one time, and yet they did do so and they have yet uh, it, it is still incomplete. Uh, Jesus is going to, to, again, accomplish things upon the earth. And what I'm interested in right now is the things that he is accomplishing now. And as um, James talks about these things in this second chapter of his letter to the diaspora, the Jews that were scattered abroad as he writes to them, he, he writes about a very practical, again, aspect of faith. And he uses three words in this that Paul also uses. One of those is faith, one of them is works, and the other is justified or justification. And as we, as we look at this, we understand, I think, that what we believe about justification through Jesus Christ. We understand that without Jesus Christ, justification was impossible. And James talks about it in terms of works, and he talks about it in terms of faith. And he melds the two together and says, 
in essence, that if we do not have works, our faith is of no value. It is does not accomplish what we might think it does. Um, and if basically it, you could you could sum it up in this 14th verse where he says, what did the prophet my brethren, though a man say he have faith and not works, can faith save him? And he poses that as a question. Can faith save him? Hold that thought now and go back with me to Romans. And I want to, you can stick your finger in James here in the second chapter if you want or a, or a uh, place marker, but just hold that thought or hold that place because we're going to come back to it. Uh, and let's look first of all at Romans, the ninth chapter. In the ninth chapter of Romans, I want to look at a couple of verses. And I think most of you know that in Paul's writing to the Romans, he was making a very forceful uh, uh, case about faith and about justification. In the ninth chapter, Paul indicates that he has a real burden for the people of Israel. And in, in doing so, he kind of recounts some of their history. But in the latter part of this chapter, beginning at verse 31, or verse 30 rather, uh, he says, What shall we say then, that the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith? But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Okay, so Paul says that the Gentiles have achieved something that the, Israel, that the Israelites or the Jews had not attained. They attained righteousness through faith. And the Jews, in following the old law, had not attained unto that. They had not attained righteousness. So Paul says the reason for that in verse 32 is because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Now, if you read that, I want to go back and look at a couple of verses in James, that second chapter that we read, beginning at verse 25, the last two verses of that chapter. He says, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So Paul talks about works, or uh, James talks about works, and he's talking about something that is a completion of faith. That faith is, is a good thing, it's a necessary thing, but he says to us through his writing uh, to the Jewish the diaspora, he says to us in that 14th verse, I would have you know, or what does it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and not works? Can faith save him? Paul, in writing to the Romans, where he uh, talks about Israel versus the Gentiles, he says, why did the Israelites, why did the Jews not achieve uh, righteousness? They didn't achieve it because they didn't go through faith. They went through works. Now, how do you reconcile what, what uh, James says about works completing faith and what Paul says about works being a hindrance to faith? How do you reconcile that? 
because one seems to say one thing and, and the other seems to say the other. Did James and Paul disagree about faith and works and justification? Did they see things from a different standpoint? Is James saying that it's not possible that we have uh, justification by faith? And is Paul saying, oh, yes, we do. We have justification by faith alone. Works has nothing to do with it at all. Are the two of them at loggerheads and cannot be reconciled? Do we have, in other words, a schism in our New Testament scriptures? I want to look at some other verses. Go back uh, several chapters to the fourth chapter of Romans. The fourth chapter of Romans, uh, Paul talks about something that James also talked about. He talks about Abraham. And he talks about that particular instance in Abraham's life where God called him to sacrifice his son. And James also talked about that. We'll refer back to that. But in the fourth chapter, uh, let's begin at the first verse. He says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the godly, his faith is counted for righteousness. And so in talking about Father Abraham, he says he believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That is, simply his faith in believing God caused him to carry his son Isaac up the mountain where he was prepared to sacrifice him. He prepared the sacrifice, the sacrificial place. He gathered the wood. He did everything he did. He even bound his son and laid him upon the altar and was ready to strike him dead, uh, the scripture indicates, with a knife before God halted him and said to him, essentially, your faith has shown that you believed me or your actions have shown that you believe me and, and that you have faith and I will provide a sacrifice. Obviously, this was a picture of that which was to come, that there, there is such a thing as faith, that believing in God is faith and that God rewards that faith with salvation through a sacrifice or that you might say it another way that he bought our righteousness with the blood of his of his sacrifice, which was his only son. But as you as you read through this, Paul is saying about Abraham that it wasn't his good deed his that that brought about the righteousness that God credits to him. It wasn't Abraham's righteousness that God was recognized recognizing, but it was Abraham's faith in God that God is recognizing. Now, if you go back to James in the second chapter, the second chapter of James, look at verse, begin at verse 20. James says, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? See, seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So Paul and James, do they have two completely different takes 
upon Abraham's action, upon Abraham's faith, upon Abraham's righteousness. James seems to be saying, and, and says it very explicitly, very plainly, Will you not know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Abraham, our father, was he not justified by works when he had offered Isaac up? So he said, as, he, as Abraham takes Isaac up onto the mountain, as he prepares an altar, as he lays his son on the altar, and as he prepares to kill him, those are all works. And those things that he was doing, he did it because he believed in God, believed God. And he showed by his works his faith in God, that God had commanded him to do something, and he didn't know why exactly, but God had commanded it, and he was ready to do it. People in our day and age would say Abraham was a madman. He's hearing voices in his head that, you know, we, we, we hear about that in the news every once in a while. Somebody hears a voice in their head that tells them to kill someone. They end up in prison. Uh, I'm thinking of Son of Sam. Those of you who are pretty young may not remember that, but, we, but those of us who are older very well remember it. He heard voices in his head. He testified later he came to Christ. He testified later he recognized those now that those voices in his head were the devil and they told him to kill people. And he did so. And he ended up with life in prison. Uh, and, and that's how people look at what Abraham did. But James and Paul are looking at what Abraham did and they're saying something very different. They said that the voice in his head was not actually just a voice in his head, but it was the command of God. And the command of God told him to take Isaac up and offer him as a sacrifice. But where they diverge is that James says that Abraham was justified by the works that he did. And Paul says that Abraham, his faith in God, it was imputed unto him for righteousness. So again, are these two men saying different things? Well, they are sort of saying different things, but I think we can reconcile them. Go to Romans, the third chapter. In the third chapter of Romans, you may not even have to turn the page in your Bible. Look at verse 28. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 28, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Go to James 2 again. Keep in mind what Paul said. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of of the law without works. James 2, verse 24. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Paul and James, are they coming head to head on this? Let's go back and read verse, verses 20 through 23 again. But wilt thou not know, O vain man, or wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seeing how, see thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Then he goes on and says, likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So you have that apparent dichotomy between 
James and Paul in their approach to justification and works and the righteousness that we have in, in God or through Christ. Uh, James 2 verses 14 and 17. Verse 14 says, What the prophet, my brethren, though a man say he have faith and hath not works, can faith save him? Verse 17, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. So how do we reconcile these two passages of Scripture? Um, found in Romans uh, chapter 3, 4, and 5, or 9. In fact, that whole passage from chapter 2 through chapter 9 where Paul addresses various aspects of justification uh, and sin, and so forth and so on. Are, they, are, are James and Paul saying two different things? Are they arguing with one another over justification by faith or justification by works and faith? Because Paul says very clearly that, uh, that justification comes through faith, and he gives the same example of Abraham to, to make his point as James does uh, to make his point. And so how do you look at these things? And, and I want to I begin by saying that the Scripture is not contrary to itself. The Scripture does not tell us two different things about the same very, very, very crucially important aspect of, of our salvation. But go back to what, what, what Paul is, is talking about. Let's, let's begin there. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, is writing about justification. And he goes through the whole aspect of mankind falling and having a sin nature and needing, being in need of justification. But one of his very important points is that in, under the old law, God commanded men to follow the old law. And they had to follow these, these works that uh, Paul refers to as works of righteousness uh, under the old law, and they had to uh, look. They had to uh, perform uh, certain deeds, and we can say maybe these things began with the, the the Ten Commandments: "Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength." Uh, and then going from there, "Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not kill, kill, thou shalt not," uh, and so um, commit adultery, and so forth, and so on. All of these things that that gave uh, men an understanding of what sin was and their need for righteousness before God, and so they God instituted the not only the Ten Commandments, the whole Mosaic Law, the Law of Sacrifices, and so forth and so on, and they had to do with their relationship with God and and their relationship with men. <coughs> so as Paul addresses this. He's addressing a, 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 an aspect of it that's so important that they understood under Christ, and that was this. Under the old law, these things had to be done, sacrifices had to be made, blood had to be spilt and shed and offered to God for the remission of sins. But Paul also talks about, and the writer of the Hebrews talks about, how that blood had to be spilled over and over and over and over again. And that blood had to be, had to be uh, offered to God upon the altars of sacrifice in the temple. But then once a year, the high priest had to go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood 
that that men's sins might be atoned for. But he had to do it once every year. In other words, it was a repeated process over and over and over again. And one, the high priest, had to sprinkle the blood for all of the people. And so Paul's point in this is this, that adherence to the old law, obedience to the old law, were works which never once and for all made people holy before God or righteous before God, that it had to be done over and over and over again. And so he was specifically talking when he talked about works and about deeds of the law, he was talking about the Old Testament and the Mosaic law by which people, the Jewish people, found themselves in not only sinners but in need, and in need of atonement, but atoned for over and over and over again by the high priest and by the sacrifices that they offered to God. And, and Paul is trying to then draw a contrast. He says, in essence, that this Mosaic law by which they were, they were justified over and over and over again for the sins that they had committed by the sprinkling of the blood, by the offering of sacrifices, these were the works of the law. And he draws this contrast. He says the problem is that they were never fully justified. They never came fully to righteousness and cleanliness and sinlessness before God because of their continued sin and because of the fact that they had to have these sacrifices made over and over and over again. He makes the point elsewhere, we find in the Scripture, that the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law, was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. A schoolmaster to bring us to Christ because it had to teach us as humans something very important, and that is that we are ultimately a broken race. That we can never come before God in our own righteousness. That we can never do enough to offset the sins that we have committed. And the foulness of the sins that we have cannot be fully cleansed by the blood of animals or goats or any good deeds that we do. And so Paul is very explicit in this. And this is why he keeps saying uh, to his audience in, the, in Rome, Christians in Rome, he keeps saying to them, we are, we, we are unable to offer our own righteousness to God through the sacrifices that we might make, through the good deeds that we might do uh, as they pertain to the old law. So what Paul is saying is, is that the old law had been fulfilled and completed through the sacrifice of Christ. And so when he says these things, when he's talking about Abraham even, he says he, he's bringing back into focus what God was trying to teach the Israelite people, the Jewish people, through the example of Abraham. He says to them, Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness. That is that his belief was so strong in God, his faith in God was so strong that it drove him to take his only son and go up the side of the mountain and prepare an altar upon which he was going to offer that son. Not because he was crazy, not because he was hearing voices in his head, but because his faith was so strong. He believed God. He believed that this sacrifice was necessary because God told him it was. He did it without understanding. Why? He did it without questioning God. He did it without railing against God in disbelief. 
He simply did what God told him to do. And if, if those of you who are fathers can understand this, it would be almost impossible. In fact, it would be impossible without an incredible faith in God. How many of you would be willing to do the same as Abraham did? And so Paul says this incredible act of faith, God rewarded, God recognized, and imputed to him through his faith righteousness, justification, if you will. Okay? Now we go back to James and what James is saying. And he uses that same story of faith. And what does he say? He says, what does it profit if a man say he have faith and not works? Can faith save him? Let's project that upon the story of Abraham. If Abraham had said, yes, God, I believe that what you need me to do, what you want me to do, what you are commanding me to do is take Isaac, my only son, to the top of the mountain, build an altar there, take his life, and sacrifice him as proof of my faith in you. And I believe all of that, but I'm not going to do it. Could we say that Abraham actually believed God? That's what James is saying. James is simply saying not that Abraham would be justified if he were under the old law, which he wasn't at that time, but to those Jews, to, the, to Jewish Christians that he's talking about, he's saying to them the old law, not that the old law was saving them, but that the proof of their faith in Jesus Christ comes through their obedience to him. And that basically is what is so important for us to understand in that distinction between what James is saying and what Paul was saying. Paul was not saying that the Paul was saying that the Old Testament as a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ brings us to the point of understanding that our that our justification comes not through our own actions, not even through our our belief uh, alone, but by our faith in God, which moves us to obedience through Christ. James is saying the same thing. James is not referring to the old law necessarily. He's simply referring to anything that would preclude or come before faith. He's saying that works is a proof of our faith that we, that, that God has justified us and because He has justified us, because of our faith in Him, now we are free uh, to be servants of God and to do good works. And so James says, he, he, he poses this question to uh, these, these uh, believers in Jesus Christ who are Jewish. What does it profit, my brethren, if a man say he have faith and does not have works? Can faith save? Can that faith save him? He says uh, in verse twenty-six: For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. He even goes so far as to say, "You believe that there is one God." That isn't that is an allusion to the fact that the Jews had a creed, a saying: "God is one God." It was an affirmation that there is only one God. In our day and age, we would say, we, we would we would say rather than God is one God, we would say there is only one God. That's what we say today. There is only one God. That's what the Jews would say in their day. 
You believe us that there is one God. That's an allusion to their to their creed. You believe that there is one God, only one God, and you do well. But he says the devils also believe and tremble. The fact is that the the devil's trembling is is a sign that they believe in God. They tremble at what's going to happen to them. Incredibly enough, the devils believe in God and tremble at Him. He says, in essence, he, he leaves that hanging. He doesn't say, can that faith save them? But that's essentially what he's saying. The devils believe in God and they tremble at that. There's proof of their belief. They tremble. Okay? That's not a work of righteousness. It's not an act to action of righteousness, but it's proof of their faith. So he says, they have that belief in God. You believe in God. But that belief in God is different than faith. And the difference is that merely believing something to be true and betting your life on it are two different things. He says, will you know that faith without works is dead? And then he gives the example of Abraham. What did Abraham do? He didn't just sit in his house and say, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that this is what you've commanded me to do. I believe that you've been, uh, uh, you've been uh, conducting uh, my life for me, that you have worked all things together, as we would say from the Scriptures. You have worked all things together for, for my good. Uh, I believe that. I, 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 I pray on a daily basis. I, I believe in my heart. I believe in my mind. Logically, I can see that you are God. Uh, I believe that you have created everything, that you work things together for my good uh, and the good of other believers in you as well. These are all well and good things. But James says that's not Abraham's approach to faith. Abraham's approach to faith was that when God said, Abraham, sacrifice your son, your only son, Isaac, Abraham got up from his chair. He got up from his place. He took his son. He took the necessary things. He gathered wood and he climbed the mountain. <clears throat> James says those works proved his faith. And they are, they, they are evidence then of a saving faith. James is, is very clear and very practical. And what he's saying to us today is, while Paul has the theology, if you will, of justification by faith, and we believe that to be true, we believe that it is only through the blood of Christ and our faith in Him that we are counted justified before God, that in the end, our faith will be proven to be genuine by the way that we conduct our lives, by the way that we are obedient to Jesus Christ. And I believe because of that, that when you read James, the second chapter, where he talks about faith, or the latter half of that chapter, you go back and read what Paul says in Romans, the two are not uh, at odds with one another at all where Paul refers to the works of the law. He's talking about the old law and saying the old law is fulfilled through Christ. You who are Christians 
You achieve righteousness, however, if you will, in the same way, by faith in God, who is God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, who Isaac was a shadow of when uh, Abraham took him to the mountain. I want to finish up in chapter 5 of Romans. I just want to read the first couple of verses. Well, not now let's read down through the 11th verse because it's a unified theme. So Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. This is not a one-time thing. This belief in Jesus Christ and the salvation and justification that comes through that is not simply a one-time event that where we are declared righteous uh, by God, but he says, wherein we stand. It is something that is an ongoing uh, real, uh, reality. And you might say that this wherein we stand is sanctification. It's an, this ongoing process. By whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. This Christmas season, we are celebrating the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are not simply taking that story, uh, making it into something that comes as, a as an opportunity to give gifts to one another and party and take a day, off, day or two off of work. But rather, as believers, we are recognizing that it is through Jesus Christ and His blood that we have hope of redemption. And it is in this grace that we continue to stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. If you go to James in the first chapter, you'll see James saying something very similar there as well. Tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when ye were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we should be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Paul and James say the same thing, that faith is necessary for our salvation, that we are saved through faith. James simply goes on to say that you who are mature Christians in Christ recognize and understand that faith as it brought justification Re, uh, uh, is simply the, the, the watering of the tree of the grace of God in our lives that brings forth fruit that proves that faith is real, that it is genuine, that it is a saving faith. That it is not simply belief, but it, that it is faith. And he says in verse 11, not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's, the word joy is used a lot 
in the Christmas season. It's joy to the world. Uh, we talk about the joy of the season, and certainly that is true. But for the Christian, it's not simply a time or an opportunity of being able to bless one another with gifts and uh, feasting together and enjoying one another's company and fellowship as families. But the joy that we have is that joy that imparts or is imparted by a deeper understanding of the advent of Christ, knowing that, as Paul says here in this eighth verse, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And even in the midst of joy, we should have a tinge of sadness in this Christmas season. Now, you probably won't hear too many messages about Christmas talking about the sadness of the season, but there is a sadness to the season. And the sadness to the season is that the reason that Christ had to come was because of our sin. The reason Christ had to come was because you and I failed. There is none righteous, no, not one, before the grace and atonement of Jesus Christ. Our joy comes because He came to save us. Our sadness is that He had to come in order that we might be saved. So let, let us, as we celebrate this Christmas season, remembering that Jesus came as a little babe in the manger in Bethlehem, where Mary and Joseph, His Father, came to pay uh, their tribute. They came to be counted for the census. Let us remember that He came there for us, not simply for our justification, but in order that He might be born on earth to live as a man and to die and give His life as a sacrifice for our sins. May God bless your Christmas season this year. May He help us to remember to both be joyful and somewhat sorrowful at this Christmas season. Joyful because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, but sorrowful that it was necessary because of our sin. May He help us toward that end is our prayer this morning.